This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to Total Saints Pod, episode 22. My name is Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stannis from Twitter. I'm a Saints fan of over 30 years, born and bred in Southampton, and the host of Total Saints Podcast. I'm also joined by Adam Leach, at Adam Leach Sport, who is the chief sports writer at the Southern Daily Echo. Adam, another roller coaster afternoon at uh, St Mary's. I know you're not long in the door, and coat's still on and shoe's still on, I think, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much, mate. It's a bit a bit like that. Yeah, that's a funny thing with, with the job i do is obviously uh we, we get i get there about three hours for kickoff and then the stand's completely empty before i get up and then have uh, another hit of work to do so it turns into like a full day's work and then yeah just just wanted to rush home and make sure that we got in a timely pod especially is there something good to talk about indeed it's nice to have uh, a positive vibe to it and uh, yeah these four o'clock uh, sundays uh kickoffs i mean just from from your point of view as a journalist and imagine the other guys up there as well i mean is, is it a bit of a, a palaver and frustration with the four o'clock kickoffs in terms of you and your sort of deadlines and everything yeah it is really and i don't i don't think anybody really likes it that much do they i don't think it's one for the fan it is what it is in terms of it's tv money and and as simple as that and i think the really nasty one coming up is is the 430 home to Liverpool in a few weeks' time, which is uh, even worse. And, yeah, for the Liverpool fans that have got to travel down, I mean, that's absolutely horrible, isn't it? 4.30 on a on a Sunday. Yeah, my, uh, heart, my heart bleeds for them. Yeah. I, I didn't think there'd be too much sympathy in Saints <laughs> fans for Liverpool fans somehow. Yeah. As I was saying that, I was like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure anybody in our audience is going to have heartbreak here. No, no. Well, I'm sure most of them will be coming down from sort of uh, Crawley and places like that anyway, <laughs> will they? So uh, there we go. So no, fantastic. Well, it's good to have you on the pod. And yeah, obviously it is late on Sunday just after the game. So I know Adam's not had much time to reflect on it. And uh, I know quite often uh, the sort of 24 hours or so that we have to, to do that helps. But um, on the podcast, we're going to talk about the Tottenham result as Adam said they're good to get something positive out of the game we're going to have a chat about the transfer window I'm going to call it activity but maybe that's not the right word um, and then we'll have a very quick look at the um, almost uh, I'd say almost but uh, not wanting to sound disrespectful but almost irrelevant FA Cup game that we now have against Watford uh, next weekend so uh, that'll be the uh, agenda for Total Saints podcast episode 22. 
overall then, Adam, a very decent point, a much better home performance, a good atmosphere by the Saints fans, a 17-year-old making his debut. All in all, it was a little bit like the old days, wasn't it? Yeah, good afternoon. Good afternoon was had by all, I think. It was, uh, yeah, it was really good. I, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? But I, I was sort of what time I have had to reflect on it and what I was writing for the Echo that uh, will be online on a Monday so people obviously be able to read by the time they hear this is uh, what a strange weekend, really, in that uh, it was all doom and gloom. And then the results on Saturday obviously conspired to dump Saints in the bottom three. Then you were thinking, oh, crikey, Tottenham at home is literally the last game you want when you've got that amount of negativity, especially given the uh, Boxing Day result just a few weeks ago and Tottenham's current form. And then just, uh, you know, a, a really good day all round. I thought the players really came alive today. They they played um, in the way that kind of Pellegrino has been trying to say that, that that's sort of how he wants them to play. Uh, so so that that was good. And we didn't have this uh, half time. You, you felt, oh, we're going to have this first half, second half split again that we've seen. But no, n- none of it. They stayed on the front foot. A great performance, a fully deserved point uh, against a good Tottenham team. Um Yes, I accept it was clearly a good time to be playing Tottenham. Um, they they had picked up a flu bug in their camp. A couple of big players were missing and uh, there were at least, I think, half a dozen in their team that they just had to get out, even though they weren't feeling well, um, simply because they obviously needed to field a team of some description. So it was a good time to play them. But nonetheless, Saints really made the most of it. And, and, it, was, and it was really good to see. And I was uh, particularly pleased for... Uh, Maurizio Pellegrino as well. I I felt very sorry, increasingly sorry for him over the last few weeks, as as it felt like he was you know a bit of a luckless individual in many ways, and was getting an awful lot of stick. Some of it justified, and some of it quite over the top and a bit unfair. And a lot of people were were thinking talking about potential protests of, about him and trying to get him out. And so I was really pleased for him because he's actually. I have to say, uh, like Claude did last year, he's actually handled himself with with great dignity and uh, composure. Um, He speaks very well in the face of pressure. And he would have probably had the right to have sounded off a little bit, and he hasn't. So I was pleased for him that the players went out and did it. He he refused after the game when I asked him about it to say that the players were, were kind of fighting for him, as it were, fighting to keep him in a job. But I think there has to be an element of that. And I think that that really goes to show that the things that I've heard, that, that the players are very much behind him, that they like him, that they rate him. Um, I, I think it went to show that those things are true. Just before we go on to talk about the game, in terms of the fans, I, I don't want to say that it's been purely developed, this this idea that there was going to be a protest from people sitting behind keyboards. But I thought it was evident from listening today that particularly every time Spurs started singing our song, um, the Saints fans reiterated and, and pretty much made it their own again and the atmosphere actually considering the pressure that was probably on the team and the game and even in the the stadium from Saints fans the 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 atmosphere is again it could have gone one of two ways I think they really stuck behind the team and it was a a, one of the best atmospheres I've certainly heard in a long time yeah I completely agree with that it was a great atmosphere there and and after the final whistle I mean what have we been used to recently booze jeers uh (laughs) players being abused as they walk off the pitch Um, fans running on to confront players and what do we get today? But there was half the ground was still, uh, there for the, for the players wandering around, uh, the end. 
they were there was actually not only applause there was actually probably a good few thousand stood there singing their hearts out to every player had left the pitch and and that was a huge difference now the two things go hand in hand obviously um the players have to perform which they did which inspired the crowd and the crowd also have to inspire the players and i think it's i wonder if saturday really was the final wake up call for everybody when you when your head's still above water when you're sinking towards the bottom three i think it's it's easy to still to have those recriminations to still think about you know where's it all going wrong and uh, for the players to perhaps and people at the club to bury their head in the sand a bit but once you're in the bottom three and especially when you're getting deeper into the season you know that you are in pretty big trouble and that it's got an amazing galvanizing effect because the I think it's kind of got to that point that I think the blame game can wait a little while now um, actually the most important thing is Saints trying to stay in the division and I think players and fans really seem to feed off each other uh, and that to me really showed the way ahead and, and hopefully it will continue we all know that the Tottenham result as good as a point against Tottenham is doesn't mean a lot if you don't back it up by beating Brighton so now that's the next challenge looking at the players we've spoken a bit recently I, I remember Charlie Hawkins question last week about Bertrand but he was made captain today and and I thought out of a very good team performance he he's, he looked to thrive with the armband and uh, back to his best yeah absolutely he got my man of the match for sure um, I think I gave him a 9 out of 10 in the marks blimey, in the paper. Yeah, yeah, well, as you know, that doesn't happen too often. <laughs> they're um, not easily given away, are they? 9s and 10s, no? They're not, 10s are very, oh, I mean, that's, a, you know, I don't know, I almost don't know what you have to do to get a 10. Have you, ever, have you ever given a 10? I, I think I have, but I, I think I might have given one 10. I think there might have been a game at some point when maybe Ricky Lambert scored 3 or 4, and yeah. I think he might have got a 10 on, on that occasion. Fair um, enough. But Bertrand got a nine. But he got a nine anyway. Uh, but he was superb from the very first moment. I think that's really probably what set the fans off. Was Saints were were at it literally from the from the first whistle, uh, as was evidenced by Gabby Adini getting a shot in on goal after about thirteen seconds. I mean, they they came out to play deliberately from the first whistle with that real intensity, and he was the real leader of that. Um, real genuine quality down that left hand side. I mean, I, as you know, last week when we spoke about it and before I've stuck up for him a bit this season when he's got a bit of criticism and he's got knocked a bit. And I, I just think he's such a big player for them. He's a he's one guy who can almost be a bit more of a leader. And I think given the captain's armband to him is actually quite a good tactic because hopefully that will really galvanise him to, to produce those leadership qualities as well. Looking at um, other performances across the, the team, obviously the centre-backs, I thought, looked a little shaky. Um, Hoiberg was obviously playing in a bit more in a, a, an advanced position. Obviously, it was good to see Gabbiadini back in. I appreciate that that was uh, because Shane Long had uh, obviously was away with the flu. But I, I guess, you know, looking at it, there is starting to see a little bit more consistency now in the selection of the, the team that he's picking. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's important. I mean, we've uh, we've joked, haven't we, about the centre-half Tom Bowler in the past when... Yep. Uh, when when that was going around and and yeah of course it may change again a little bit once uh, Maya Yoshida's back from his hamstring injury and I think this is the last game that he'll he'll be out uh, it was the Tottenham game and he'll be back from now on so he may look to change it around a bit I think Wesley is um, the first choice centre half now and it's a matter of who uh, is going to partner him in the Premier League at least and so it's going to be one of Jack Stevens or or Maya. Um, it looks like so 
yeah, I think a bit of stability is much needed. They've obviously had a couple of injury problems that have, that have largely gone away. As you mentioned, Shane Long was ill, but that's more, nothing you can do about that. Um, but there has been some more consistency in selection, even though he changed the formation around a bit and moved players around a bit. It was actually still only two changes again this week. And one of those was clearly enforced with, with Long being ill. Um, and I think that's good. I think maybe Pellegrino's starting to to get the, the, the feeling for, for what his best team might be. I mean, as and when they bring in a couple of new players, of course, it, it may change again. We may see a bit of chopping and changing. But I think... Um, it's the right thing to do to try and bring some stability to the proceedings overall. I think that includes um, what, what I think will probably be the end uh, of the speculation about Pellegrino's future as well. I think um, the point and the, just the manner of the point against Tottenham now, absolutely, if anybody was thinking he might be gone, uh, this might be a, a good window for him to be replaced potentially with the Watford FA Cup game not being perhaps the most meaningful before you've then got Brighton and West Brom. I, I think that there's no way that after on that evidence and given recent performances generally have been steadily improving, even if the results haven't entirely gone the way you'd want, they have been improving. I think you pretty much guarantee that he's in the hot seat for Brighton and West Brom now. And I think most uh, people would surely concede that if you get into February with your manager and you've got only what at that point, 12 games left. Well, for the upheaval, then you, you're going to be sticking with him realistically. And I think that the thought that there's that stability there, including uh, from his selections and for the manager himself, hopefully, again, it's one less distraction for supporters to worry about. And actually, it's again, it's something just to get behind the players that are out there. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I've been 100% supportive of him by any stretch of the imagination. I think there's been a, a few frustrations as a fan. But I think likewise, you know, I've certainly not necessarily been adamant that we need to get rid of him and sack him and I, I think it's always easier to talk more positively about someone when you've had a positive result but I think the key thing is as you've mentioned there quite rightly you know they have they are clearly playing for him they played for him last week at Watford they've clearly played for him again today I think that's when you you, you can tell that a team is still very much behind their manager I, I guess the frustration for me Adam this this season has been I mean there has been some woeful performances across the season but when you look at how we played away at City when you look at how we played away at United how we played um against Arsenal at home, how we played against Tottenham today, you know, four really, really top performances. It's it's the frustration, I think, is that then when we play Crystal Palace or Leicester or teams that we should be, you know, we should be beaten, if we're honest, we, we sort of put in lacklustre, questionable attitudes, all those sort of things. They're just, I, I said to someone earlier, there seems to be this sort of frequent inconsistency. And that's that's probably the, the most annoying I guess challenge that we have towards Pellegrino is, is why why we're playing like that against what I would deem weaker sides. And it's something that, that I think he's very aware of and, and he knows he needs to sort out. I, I really believe that you have to now back up that uh, point against Tottenham by beating Brighton yep. at home. It's as simple as that. They need, uh, they're, they're going to go as good as Tottenham was. They go into the Brighton game in the bottom three. They're still in the relegation zone. So that, that uh, double header, I know we'll talk about it more in next week's pod, but for me, they need four points from, from Brighton and West Brom. And I think that really the three needs to come ideally at home as well in front of the home fans. But uh, I'm wondering if they're just beginning to get the sense of kind of understanding the way that Pellegrino wants them to play and what, and what he's getting at. Uh, I've heard a lot about his sessions and his coaching and, and how much the players enjoy it and how 
methodical he is in terms of trying to do everything he can to direct the players towards the the end product of play that he wants. And a lot of what we've heard about Pellegrino, uh, certainly when he came in and the way that he was going to have Saints playing, is not really been reflected in performances particularly uh, up until recently. And then we've had some first halves, which we've been pleased with, and the second half, not so much. And then today we had a full 90 playing that way. So I think whilst you wouldn't have wanted the progress to have taken as long as it has, there are signs of progress and it does look like they're moving towards a formula that is, I think, going to be a lot more palatable to most people coming to watch and a lot more interesting. The question is, can they keep it up and combine it with results? And can they, the question really over Saints has been, can they really do it when the pressure's on? Because yes, the pressure's sort of on today. But again, a bit like the games that you listed, the Man United, Man City, blah, blah, blah. Those are all games where you're the big underdog. Nobody expects you to win. The games where you should win are the ones that they most of the time have not won and the games where they've led. And so therefore the pressures on them is the ones that they've quite often ended up capitulating and not winning. So there is also a a pressure element to all this. And uh, the Brighton game uh, will be the next big test of that, really, because they know that they need the three points there. Two points that I just wanted to finish talking about on the Spurs game, a negative and a positive. So we'll start with the negative. Kevin Friend, Adam, i got to say he's never really been a friend of Saints. I, I still forever remember that game when we played Liverpool. I, mean, I think it was Dejan Lovren's first ever return to St Mary's. And Joe Allen um, took out, uh, um, I can't even remember who the striker was, uh, who it was in the area, but it was a clear penalty and he never gave it. And then Coutinho smashed one in from about 20 yards. And he's one of those referees that I've always thought is pretty average in terms of Premier League quality. His general performance today, and somehow Dembele not getting sent off for, I think it was about 1,058 fouls I counted in the end, but his his performance wasn't great for a Premier League official, I thought. Well, all I can say is that quite often, the I hear people talk a lot about referees, and I, I tend to notice only really the really good ones or the really bad ones, uh, personally. I mean, I don't really uh, remember all the others that are the sort of a bit faceless in between that turn up. And he sticks in my mind as one of the really bad ones. So I assume, I assume he must be quite bad because, uh, funnily enough, I was saying to my colleague Peter today before the game, he said, oh, who's the referee? And I sort of picked up the programme and turned to the back of the programme to have a look. I was like, I said to him, oh, no, it's Kevin Friend. <laughs> this, is, this is not going to be good. And then sure enough, how many fouls Dembele had to commit before he was going to get booked I mean it was almost yeah. became a bit of a running joke didn't it um, yeah. and he got and he got uh, for me he got quite a lot wrong for both teams so again I don't I don't think he's uh, in any way biased at all I just think he's seems to be not at the same level as quite a lot of his colleagues are at I thought the um the the one as well where Spurs were on the counter-attack and I think it's Lamina very very cynically uh stopped Lamella when it looked like they were going to have a three on two and because Lamella, I think simply because he attempted to stay on his feet, he didn't book Lamina. I mean, it was absolutely mm. ludicrous not to book him. It was clearly a cynical, cynical attempt to stop a foul. If he'd have slid in and Lamina would have gone down, there would have been no doubt. But because it wasn't that dramatic, he thought, oh, I just won't bother. And again, as we said with Dembele and there were numerous other little decisions, I just, I guess it's hard to have a whole selection of, referees that are all going to be at the standard required and maybe he's just a tiny bit below that I certainly on today's performance again I was left slightly bemused as to quite what he was doing and there seemed to be quite a few inconsistencies as well 
Just to finish on the positive then, Michael Obafemi, Obba as I believe he's known, um, having researched his biography before the podcast started, it was really good for him to come on as a, an academy product, only a 17-year-old getting 10 minutes in the Premier League. You know, in terms of Saints, obviously it's something that we've gone on about for years and years about the academy, and I guess the last 12, 18 months there's not been that many opportunities for them. I appreciate, as we said earlier, because of Long being out, he got his place on the, the, the bench, but more importantly for Pellegrino to chuck him on in a Premier League game that was in the balance at that point... A, he shows some trust in Pellegrino, but more importantly for him and his family and the academy at Saints, a really good moment. Well, it's a, it's an amazing rise, really, to get 10 minutes in the Premier League because Obafemi really hasn't even made the step up to the under-23s. I mean, he's, he, he's really been an under-18s player. They haven't even touched him at under-23 level, presumably because they think he's he's too raw and he's not really at that level yet. So to suddenly get him in the Premier League team... Uh, perhaps goes to show the dearth of strikers around that St Mary's at the moment, well, i.e. just one uh, today. Yeah, good good on him. He came on, he sort of scurried around a bit, didn't he? He had a good yeah. chance, which unfortunately um, he made a bit of a mess of. Uh, but, it, but he's young and it is, it is difficult. It was a lot of pressure and it was a lot of pressure out of nowhere as well. Got to be honest, what further chances will he get? Don't know that it'll be a lot because you, you're going to have uh, Gabbiadini, you're going to have Long... At some point, Austin will be back and they're going to sign a striker as well. Fingers so, uh, well, I'm pretty confident they'll sign a striker. So, you know, he's going to sit miles down the pecking order again. And, and I don't know, you don't never know as and when he reappears. But it was nice to see. And I actually thought, though I don't think this is why Pellegrino would have done it. I thought from his point of view, it was actually quite a good PR move to do something like that. Because I think the fans would love. We're always going to love in that situation a youngster throwing on and charging around, a bit directionless, but still charging about, and that's all great. And it's the Southampton way, whatever the hell that is, you know. And <laughs> it's it's all it, it was all good, and for him, I think it was a, a positive and to show that he's got that mindset of wanting to promote young players where he could. Uh, he could have probably taken a more conservative option somewhere along the line, but he he didn't. He went for a a very young lad and a very raw young player and I think that worked well for him and he's obviously got options for Watford which I'm sure we'll discuss but for the cup game but um it would be great to see him involved again there maybe that would be a really good opportunity to maybe give him a half or something like that Transfers then, Adam. I thought we'd have a, a quick chat about uh, the transfer market. Bearing in mind we're, what, 21 days into January now and Saints so far have sold Virgil van Dijk for £75 million and uh, signed the sum total of zero players. Um, Pellegrino has taken a lot of flat this season, Adam. I guess we've all been quite aware that he needs a couple of tools in his uh, toolbox, so to speak, a couple of new ones. Are you surprised maybe that the board haven't acted sooner? I know, obviously, Walcott, well, I think you know they were certainly adamant they were going to get him more, or confident, but... Other than that, I mean, is it probably now, bearing in mind we've got 10 days until Brighton prove them right that they do take their time with trying to get the right players in? Well, you couldn't accuse them of hurrying, could you? <laughs> Three weeks in, and bearing in mind that they managed to sell a player before the window had even opened. Yeah, they, they were they were confident of getting Walcott. I, I hinted at it last week on the podcast. They thought that that was going to happen. They thought that was going to happen for a few weeks, and obviously it didn't end up happening for... A variety of reasons and so it's been a bit back to the drawing board in that position and going on to the second target as it were on the on the sheet um, and I think now I mean it's a very fluid situation the January window I think a lot of people are realizing that uh, given what's 
happened with Alexis Sanchez uh, just goes to show. I mean, he was for all the world a Man City player at some point in the next six months. And look, at he's now at Man United and Mkhitaryan's uh, going to Arsenal. Chelsea are being linked with every striker under the sun. Even Peter Crouch might end up going to Chelsea. So there's all sorts of weird and wonderful things that can happen in January. And you're playing a game continuously because you're trying not to get ripped off because clubs don't want to sell good players. Um, and if they do, they want a fortune for them, particularly in January. So you, you're constantly playing a game. And if you're negotiating, your best chance of getting the player at the kind of price you want is is to leave it late, really, uh, a lot of the time, because clubs and, and maybe agents as well want to kind of sort of play the game of trying to get other people involved, uh, get bidding wars going, trying up in fees and wages and, and stuff like that. And then if you get towards the end of the window, yes, if there's a bidding war, then you might be stuck. But if that doesn't come to fruition, then quite often they'll end up having to accept what is a fair and reasonable price for the player. So Saints are involved in a bit of that. I just think um, that my criticism would be not not that, that there's anything wrong with that per se, but at a period of time when Saints have so desperately needed players and given that they have obviously sold at the very height of players' value um, as well, that every so often you're not always above the game. Saints aren't always above the game. They're not cleverer than everybody else in the transfer market. They're not you know, reinventing the wheel when it comes to the transfer market. Uh, they've got to play the game the same as everybody else. And occasionally, if you have to pay a bit more of a premium to get somebody in and to get them in in a timely manner, uh, then so be it. And, and not doing that takes a bit of a, a risk. That risk, you could argue, has seen them slip into the bottom three, when otherwise maybe you never know. They have, wouldn't have done. But now, yes, they have got uh, a, a period really up until Brighton uh, to bring players in. It would be great if they maybe could have had one or two in in the next uh, week, in, in which case they could actually get them ready to potentially play against Brian rather than people arriving just before and it, and it being really too late for that game and, and probably almost too late for a starting place against West Brom. So fingers crossed on that. Uh, after the game, I asked Maurizio about it. He certainly sounded upbeat. He has sounded upbeat before and it's not happened. So yep, yep. We, we, we wait and see. But I think they've got their, their targets Lockdown. I think they're um, certainly on one deal. I think they're they're probably not too far away now. And and on another, is that Peter uh, Crouch? Ah, uh, Crouchy, yeah, yeah. The, the the return. Sensible, yeah, sensible. Sensible move. Big target <laughs> man, isn't he? Good. He's got a good touch for a big man. He'll do a job, yeah. Yeah, he'll do a job for you. Yeah, no, I think um, Guido uh, Carrillo is. Um, oh, we've talked about him before, isn't it? He's been in obviously in the papers and everything. It's not exactly a surprising link but I think that's one that potentially could happen again like I said I don't think I'm revealing anything particularly exciting there I think you know he's been touted around enough Saints have obviously uh, been in for him and there's obviously negotiations taking place on that one and obviously also in the papers has been uh, the link with Quincy Promise at Spartak Moscow and, and that would be uh, a mega signing in terms of cash I mean that would that's going to cost a lot of money to get him out of there so there's still a lot of things in, in that deal that you think could go wrong. You think with Carrillo, your your common sense tells you he's not particularly being coveted by other clubs. Uh, Monaco are obviously looking at Slimani as well now and, uh, and don't seem that desperate 
to keep him overall. I mean, they, they don't want to leave themselves exposed, but they don't seem to be desperate to keep him. He seems to be fairly happy um, with a move to Southampton. So it's kind of a deal that would work for all parties if the financial boxes can be ticked. I don't necessarily want to mention names, but I think probably anyone that's listening will know who I'm talking about. Papers such as The Telegraph do tend to, to put out stories regularly about various clubs. Obviously, Saints have been in quite a few weeks, you know, almost instantly after falling into the relegation zone yesterday. There was a Telegraph story about positive signings and promise and all that sort of thing. But I, I know you're particularly good, Adam, at not speculating. You tend to just report on stuff when it gets fed, when it's close and uh, or completed. And I know Adam Blackmore's very much the same. So do, do you find it sort of frustrating that maybe you know some of the broadsheets sort of hype up speculation I think even you know Sky Sports they tend to sort of tweet things and you almost sort of think hypothetically it's to encourage people onto Skybet and all those sorts of areas as well so as speculation around transfers increases and intensifies so much do you kind of find it frustrating that sometimes there's a a lot of what, what I would call BS out there? I think really, from my point of view, over a long period of time, you get to know people. There's people when I see them saying things, I take it very seriously. And there's people when I see them saying things, I don't take it even remotely seriously. And that's really the difference. But obviously, I've got a a, a long time of knowing a lot of the people that are reporting this stuff as well, uh, knowing uh, their reputations very well, knowing uh, in a lot of cases, especially with people with saints, who their contacts are and where I think they're getting stuff, uh, maybe getting stuff from or where they aren't getting stuff from, um, which is also the case uh, sometimes. And so I, I think that I would you know, selectively listen to, to what some people say. And then my own personal approach is only to try and report things that I think uh, are are real and that the are genuine and are happening. Now, you report things like the interest in Walcott and they don't sign Walcott. Well, that doesn't mean they weren't trying to sign Walcott. They just didn't get the deal over the line. And I I think as uh, as local media, I think it's important that you are seen as a trustworthy source of information. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't repeat the speculation in some form or another, but I, we would only and I would only put my name to something that I knew had some uh, genuine basis in truth. And I think that's very important that people know if they come to your publication or, or if they read what a particular journalist or writer has said, then if that's the, the field you're working in, which for me it is um, a trust job, really, then then what you say carries some weight. And if people don't want to believe it, they don't have to. But um, from my point of view, that's that's how I operate. Now, that's not how how everybody operates. Of course, it's not. We know it's not. I do sometimes defend some journalists, though, and that some of the stuff that comes out is perhaps rubbish. And, and if it was what we call second sourced, i.e. you didn't just take one person's word for it, you went and checked it out with somebody else, you might quickly work out that it was rubbish. But given that I think a lot of transfer rumours do aren't literally just people sat there putting a you know just making things up uh they they do come from agents and and other uh, scouts and other people like that and probably there's a genuine interest but when you bear in mind if if saints are recruiting in one position they might talk to as many for one position as five to ten clubs about potential players Two positions. That's maybe 20 clubs they've contacted about or contacting about players. 
So if people link with somebody, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not true. It might just be somebody that they thought about, got told he wasn't for sale and just moved on. But by the time the person's picked it up it's, and they put it out there, all that's happened and they just don't know because they've just taken a word of an agent that they've heard it from or something like that. So there is a lot that goes on. And then, and then on top of that, there is a whole heap of stuff that probably is just made up as well. So trying to pick that apart as a fan is is probably very difficult. And I guess the frustration for me would be that when I see um, lots of people getting involved with, uh, you know, lots of journalists that are very heavily followed or on Twitter or things like that, a lot of those, not all of them, but some of them can be because they just put out a load of rubbish about transfers. And that's just people like talking about it and they're like reading about it. Whereas if you're more trustworthy, then you're almost a bit boring. At the end of the day, that's I, I think that I've always thought that's my uh, responsibility to try and cut that balance between making sure that you get out the news before it happens. And I, uh, I think, uh, I mean, you touch wood when you're in January because you never know what's going to happen. But I don't think... Saints have signed a player for probably the best part of a decade that hasn't had their name hasn't been mentioned by us first at some stage. And and you just you, you just try and cut that balance between getting the stories out there, but also not rumour mongering. Indeed. Well, it'd be interesting to see what happens. I know Creo wasn't on the, wasn't in the squad for Monaco's game against Nice. He wasn't even on the bench today either. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that one. Um, we ran a poll on our podcast um, Twitter site over the last uh, few days before this podcast um, just to ask fans, I guess, what their thoughts were on not necessarily what we've done so far because it's obviously very limited, but I guess between now and the window closing, what their thoughts were. Um, so we asked them, um, with circa 10 days to go in the current transfer window, we'd like to know how confident you are that Saints FC will sign the player or players they need to improve their chances of Premier League survival this season overall the votes were probably as expected um six percent very confident 20 percent slightly confident six percent said they didn't care and the runaway leader was 68 percent was not confident at all adam so that probably sums up uh, probably what we expect i imagine yeah i think that's probably what you <laughs> the result you would have expected but i think it's it's ultimately we know saints need players we know pellegrino needs some help the board have got to deliver it the the if if they can't deliver it, then they know it's that whatever happens this season's on their head. As simple as that, really. Right, we're going to finish this short version of uh, Total Saints podcast with a quick look ahead to the Watford FA Cup game next weekend. Adam, we spoke about it a bit in the podcast last week. I don't want to sound, as I said at the start of this podcast, disrespectful towards the FA Cup, but in our current predicament, as we've mentioned before, almost one to sort of write off and give some of the youngsters a go, maybe Obafemi, as we mentioned. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was interesting. I'd be interested to see how he approaches this, because I feel now on the back of uh, the Tottenham performance, it probably doesn't feel the pressure that he really needs a result now. Pellegrino doesn't feel like... I, I need the win for momentum and to sustain uh, himself and, and the team and things like that. I think it's a real shame, actually. I know Sam Allardyce spoke about it um, quite passionately a couple of years ago, I think, when he was criticising uh, the FA Cup scheduling uh, and saying, well, people accuse the managers and the clubs of disrespecting the FA Cup and not taking it seriously. Well, why don't you help us with the fixture scheduling? And, and this is an absolute case in point, isn't it, really, for Saints? They play Watford on Saturday, 
if they didn't have a game in midweek, then they would play their first choice team and they try and progress as far as they can in the FA Cup. But given Saints' uh, precarious position in the Premier League and given that they've got Brighton and then West Brom in the space of a few days immediately after the FA Cup game, they've got no choice but to change it around. They've got to. And and that is ultimately a lot of clubs will be thinking that because obviously there's a Premier League fixture list in that midweek. And that is to the great detriment of the FA Cup. And so I, I have a, a modicum of sympathy with with managers and with clubs on that one. And I, I think we saw last year what a good cup run would do. And it would be marvellous if Saints could get a cup run uh, again this year in the FA Cup. That'd be fantastic. Now, wh- what he does, I, I think, for me, he needs to leave out the team that he thinks are going to be playing against Brighton. Or if he's got in mind, say, 13 players that he might pick from for those two games, if he's going to make a couple of changes... Make sure that if he's got an eye on who might play against West Brom, they can play against Watford, but not that team that that is going to play uh, Brighton. Obviously, you never quite know what uh, crops up. But I mean, to be fair, I was saying play the youngsters, and I think a lot of people would like that. But he's also got to think about his squad. He's got a big squad, and he needs people to be fit and ready to play if they're needed. And and I I was looking at it today, and I was thinking ahead of um, us recording, who could he play? And, And I just sketched out... A team. You've got Forster in goal, PA right back, uh, Yoshida and Bednarek uh, in centre-halves. Steve Davis only played a few minutes at the end of the game today. Then you've got Sims, Redmond, Bufal, McQueen, Long, uh, Oberfemi, who obviously all of which were either weren't involved today or involved only to a very limited degree and potentially won't be involved against Brighton because you, one would assume that he will stick largely with what he's got today. And that's before you even think of the fact there might be an extra signing or two coming that's going to push some of those guys even further down the pecking order. That's a pretty strong team. That's a, that's a team that or, at another time could almost be Saints' uh, team. I wonder whether he'll go down the route of playing lots of youngsters. So there's Hesketh in there as well, of course. I, I forgot Hesketh. So it'll be interesting to see what route he takes. With Watford, obviously football is a funny old game, as we well know. They've sacked Marco Silva over this weekend and replaced him with Javi Gracia, Spanish uh, ex-defensive midfielder, who's uh, previously been manager, I think, of Malaga and uh, Ruben Kazan, I believe. Um, as, as we said, I mean, Watford sort of seemed to indicate in their statement that it had pretty much come from the interest that Silva had had from Everton before Christmas, Adam. And it's, it's almost, I guess I was reflecting on it today, thinking it's almost the equivalent of the Virgil van Dijk situation, but with a manager where he's had his head turned, he's kind of lost interest, doesn't really want to be at the club. To, to me, you know, I watched some of his interviews the last few weeks, even after Saints, and his, his sort of attitude almost was a, a bit of a shrug your shoulders, don't care type. But it, it, it seems like there's a little bit more to it than obviously results on the pitch, because they sit 10th in the Premier League, so they've had struggled yeah well I mean they've they hit they obviously their form uh more recently has been quite poor um after a good start there it's interesting with Silva you wonder whether his stock is falling a little bit he obviously did okay with Hull still ultimately took them down but at least gave them a fighting chance even though they got relegated a uh, big impact initially at Watford and then has really tailed off um this is particularly interesting because he was one that was well in the frame in the summer for the Saints job obviously they didn't go down that route in the end um but that was a very live possibility that he could have been a Saints manager instead of Pellegrino so it's very interesting to see where he's gone obviously before the game a lot of people speculating about Pellegrino and having had that feeling that well there was no real 
alternative out there, good alternative, all of a sudden a guy that's been on Saints' radar becomes available unexpectedly and people start putting two and two together and, and trying to think, well, what could it equal four if um if Saints got thrashed against Tottenham or whatever? And then Pellegrino gets the reaction that he got. So it's been an interesting subplot to the weekend. Right, let's end with a prediction then, Adam. I'm going to give you two predictions here because uh, I was thinking about it today. So first prediction is on the proviso he plays a sort of fairly senior side. And then the second prediction would be on the fact that he, he blends a fair bit of youth. Well, without wishing to make too many excuses for myself before I've even made a prediction, the, the part of the difficulty is I'm not entirely sure what Watford will do with the with the new manager. If it was Silver, you, you would think he probably would have played a bit of a weakened side. With the new guy, will he want to try and get off to a, a flyer to build a bit of momentum? Will he want to have a look at the players he's got? Or will he think a bit a bit like Pellegrino would as a more established manager? Well, I've got a midweek game, and so therefore uh, the best thing to do is to build a reserve team, which obviously he'll be taking advice from other people in the club on who those players are, because presumably he won't know them all yet. So it's a bit of an unknown. I think a, a senior Saints side... I think they've got a good chance of getting through, even against a, a senior Watford team. So I'm going to go for the senior side for a steady 2-0 home win. A young side, if Watford play a strong team, it will be difficult, simply because Watford are, are very, have got a squad, a depth of squad that are very physically strong, which is obviously going to be difficult for a young team. So I would have to go for a one all draw and a, and a terrible midweek replay. Fair enough, thank you, Dickie. Um, well, I've gone for uh, that for the first uh, prediction, actually, one all, which I don't think does anyone any favours, really, particularly Saints. I don't think they uh, necessarily need that. Um, and then I've gone for 2 0 to Watford if we do play a, a younger side, just because I think they will. I think you always get that sort of honeymoon period with a new manager where we all often see results uh, upturn and uh, those sorts of things. But I think also. I would totally understand Pellegrino playing a young side. I think, as you say, all focus has to be on the Brighton game. So I'm going to go for a one-all draw proper and then a 2-0 defeat if he does blend that with sort of six, seven youngsters. Wow. So we've got we've got good chances. Between us, surely one of us is going to pick up the four million points this week. We've got a win, a draw and a defeat. So I think we've got a good chance of getting something there, haven't we? Yeah, that's right. We've got to, we've got to get something. I can't. When was the last time one of us even got a prediction right? I can't. Yeah, I think it was probably me, Adam, but I don't remember when. Uh, I, I, funnily enough, I thought it was me, but um, that <laughs> well, does, you, I, mean, I admit that yeah. does seem unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you were closer with the Tottenham game because you said three one and I said three 0 so at least you uh, were uh, a little bit closer on that one. Yeah, you? yeah, but, uh, I got the one, and you said that yes, that's why I remember you saying that they you didn't think they'd score. So yeah, yeah. well, to be fair, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Total Saints Pod episode 22. Adam, thanks very much. I've much appreciated, you know, certainly all your thoughts. As I said, barely being in the door and taking your coat off after the game. So thanks a lot for joining us and uh, look forward to catching up with you next week. We'll be joined next week by two of our favourites from uh, this season so far. They both have really good listens on the pod, but more importantly, both got views. Some of them are quite uh, more, more expletive than the others. But uh, Glenn, League One minus 10 and Lucy, Lucy Hynett will both be joining us for episode 23. We thought we'd get them on because it is such a massive week ahead of Brighton and West Brom so it'll be Adam myself Lucy and Glenn on next week's show thanks for listening have a good week and I think we'll all keep marching in after the Spurs result the TalkSport fan network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year 
As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.